The Decay of Still Cove is a D&D 5e actual play campaign, released as a podcast and as video on demand by the It You crew. You don't need to understand the rules of D&D to enjoy this campaign, as the roleplay in these sessions takes the spotlight where mystery is concerned. In the homebrew city of Still Cove, four unsuspecting ruling council hopefuls discover that there is a lot more to protecting their home than they ever expected. Strange enchantments plague the city, but who or what has put them there? Follow them as they try to uncover the truth behind the decay of Still Cove. My name is Bree, and I will be acting as Dungeon Master for this campaign. I'm Reverie Terribly, known as Rev. I'm an artist and part of the It You Crew role-playing team. I'll be playing Noctradamus, a tiefling sorcerer. He's happiest at the top of the astronomy tower, looking out at the stars. I'm Leliana, a.k.a. Laura. I'm a children's librarian who talks all things TV all the time, and sometimes movies and sometimes video games and sometimes music, but mostly TV. And I am playing Rowan, an elf rogue who's going through her teenage rebellion stage and really doesn't trust nobody. Hi there, I'm Saki, or Rue. I'm a prop and character designer at a studio on the east coast of Canada. I'm playing Eddie, who is a water genasi druid, and they are not the moist kind. Hi, my name is Vixie B. I'm a studio illustrator by day. I am a cartoonist, and I'm also a newly hatched game dev. For this campaign, I'm playing Frelholman Tenderheart Kuothi Vime Tan, a seven-foot Goliath Bard, who is a big baby and has two very sweet little emotional support dogs named Alabaster and Pollywog, who go with them everywhere. The city of Stilcove is old. It sits at the edge of the Red Rise Forest and held in a valley against the waning mountains. Each sunrise bathes the sky in a soft pink glow, lighting the pale stone buildings of Still Cove to welcome each day. A web of massive oak trees and willow trees reflect the golden sunlight as the sun climbs in the sky, but it's never really been red. No one remembers who named the Red Rise Forest or why it had to be so ominous, but no one has bothered to change it in the centuries that followed anyway. Kept in balance by five council members, its walls crumble, and though they are repaired throughout the year, all of the timber and stone in the city hasn't managed to hide its age. No one talks about it, but the city seems to be dying. Four years ago, the council rebuilt the gates, and in that short time they have rusted and are only opened once a day to preserve them. Moss perpetually grows on every surface and the cobblestone streets have nearly worn smooth, which some people think is a good thing, but that's another topic entirely. Travelers often remark on how unique the paved walkways are in Still Cove, but you all know the truth. Huge ancient trees grow freely in a massive canopy that keeps the city cool during the summer and protected during the heavy snowfalls of the winter. At one point, they had been placed as decorations for homes nearby, but after the centuries, they have become a looming testament to the city's endurance. New homes are built around them, and sometimes, depending on the tree, inside of them. In recent decades, however, the city seems to be aging quicker than it should be. The walls crumble faster, the trees are losing branches, destroying homes or demolishing buildings when they do. 
The nights are growing longer, and as a result, the crops are growing thin. But surely, your mentors claim it will pass, as all things inevitably, inevitably do, in the city of Stilcove, a city that has endured for hundreds of years. You are the chosen candidates of the current council members in power. These guardians have been ruling fairly for 24 years, and in some opinions, a bit too leniently in regards to storing resources or building up protections against potential invaders as things just don't seem right anymore. You see, when your mentors came into power, it was because the old rulers disappeared in the middle of the night. A massive funeral was held, even though there were no bodies, and the chosen candidates for the next council placed themselves in power with the support of each other to do so. The whisper of foul play had been hinted at in the years following, but so great was this combined influence of the new council standing together that no one really questioned it. One attempt at an investigation had been started, but it fizzled out when the council approved new budgets and building plans and the city began to thrive briefly. They continued to hold and build on the previous council's works and projects, and now you are meant to take their place in the coming years. And tomorrow morning, there will be a meeting. It's more of a show. Everyone dresses up in their fanciest clothes, but also, for some reason, their toughest armor to show pride for their station and strength when they stand together. Citizens make time in their day to peek out of their places of business and watch you go through the streets. They aren't singing your praises or throwing flowers or asking you to bless their children with kisses, but it's something to mark each month, and they will wave and call out, try to give you gifts to show their support. Your mentors say you can't take the gifts, but sometimes. What are, they're not always watching you. What are you going to do about it? This month's meeting is being hosted by the Tan family on the estate where they handle business of the city's agriculture and natural resources. You'll be seeing the other candidates there, and your mentors want you to bond as they are confident that soon enough you will all be working together as they did 24 years ago. The date today isn't too special. You've been to several of these over the years to observe, but tomorrow will be different. They'll look to you for your opinions and probably ask you how you'll begin to contribute to the running of your council. And what do each of you think about this as you prepare for the morning? We can start with Rowan. I'm probably a little anxious. I don't really bond with people very much. And my dads are like, you got to get to know these people. And I'm like, do I though? <laughs> I'm awkward in these situations. But I'm can willing you, to give it a try. Um, can you go ahead and describe your character for everyone right yeah. now? Yeah. So I am a female elf who's pretty young for full elf. Um, I have reddish blonde, you know, your strawberry blondish hair that I like to keep in braids to keep out of my face because that's just annoying. Um, <laughs> and a lot of freckles. And I'm a rogue. Okay. And um, Frill. It's your house that people are going to come to tomorrow. It is. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm feeling a bit nervous just because I'm not the most confident speaker, not the most gregarious 
of Goliaths. Uh, I might be tall, but my my heart's very soft, and I'm very nervous about having to do any kind of council meeting or any kind of event where I am anywhere near a host. Not because I'm not social, but just because I'm very afraid. <laughs> so I'm feeling very nervous, but I do have my two dogs with me, Alabaster and Pollywog, as I always have with me, and my emotional support animals and they're here to support me and I think everything's going to be fine. My mom, Margot, says everything's going to be fine. My dad, Bellion, says everything's going to be fine. So it's going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) And Eddie, how does Eddie feel about this? Eddie is, uh, I don't want to say apathetic, but Eddie has kind of gotten used to these meetings as sort of a performance Um, because unlike some who are uncomfortable with the social aspect of things, they're not uncomfortable with the social aspect. They just don't like politics. Um, So where this is essentially a meeting of politics, um, their whole shtick is that they just want to get in, do it, and get out. Um, So they are well acquainted with Frill. They are good friends. Um, And so this meeting being at the TAN house is uh it does make things easier for them they do kind of look forward to seeing frill they look forward to seeing um everyone that they've kind of seen you know as these meetings have kind of gone on but they're not nervous per se they're just kind of dreading the whole experience of having to kind of put on a smile and the charm and everything and and they'll do it but for now as they're getting dressed they're just kind of taking their time and sighing out the window dramatically (laughs) (laughs) i can see it already um knocked knocked what do you think about the meeting tomorrow uh knocked is well he's not the biggest socializer in the world but he sort of sees the meetings as something he just has to do he's been brought up a to think very much like this is your duty this is what we sort of been raising you your whole life for to take over so it's just a part of work uh it's not his favorite part of it he much prefers you know being at the college of arcanum doing magical things um so this is a a necessary evil uh he thinks um yeah noct is a tiefling sorcerer he's quite fancy uh you know he's always sort of softly glittering and his hair is always elaborate uh, apart from you know early in the morning but nobody sees him then (laughs) he just knows that he's going to be the head of his house one day and he takes it very seriously so everyone goes to bed with a little twinge of oh that's what i'm getting there's like well i gotta do this it doesn't sound fun but okay cool Everybody goes to sleep or goes to meditate or it's it's going to be okay, right? <laughs> Knocked. You're dreaming. Yes. Oh, no. You're asleep. <laughs> oh, no. It's dark. You're in the fields just outside of the city and nothing is growing. And you feel that nothing has grown for years now. You know that it's midday. The sky is overcast and cloudy, but as the clouds roll back, no light shines through. On the horizon, a large black shadow comes closer and you know that it is devouring whatever is in its path. 
it's coming closer to the city. Closer and closer, and as it comes, you know that it's looking for you. What do you do? Hmm. Do I know I'm dreaming? Yes. Hmm. Well, if he knew he was dreaming, then he would have imagined that he could still use magic in a dream. Okay. So he might try and ward it off. Uh, he's not going to run. He doesn't run from things. <laughs> it absorbs your magic. And it feels upset. Yikes. That you okay. try to attack it. It's not speaking, because it doesn't have a mouth. It's just a rolling pile of clouds, if clouds could be in a pile. It doesn't look sick, because how could a cloud look sick? It's trying to speak, you think. It's slow rumbles, and you don't understand what it's saying until you see a symbol appearing inside of the clouds. And normally, you would need to perform a ritual, a complicated ritual, to understand the words. But this time it just comes to you, and you know exactly what it's trying to say. It's primal and it's guttural. And it just rumbles mine. You don't try to run, and you don't change your mind. Nope. A red tree begins to grow from the ground, and it's blocking your path to the city. And it wants to protect you, but its roots have shriveled. And it falls over, turning to ash. And a withered body is in its place. And it speaks without a mouth. And it says to you, find the dead, they know our secret. What do you do? What is that supposed to mean? A little red Fine. bird pops onto <laughs> your shoulder. And it says, I can stop the storm. You just need to wake me up. The I dead, don't even know who you are. The dead know. The dead know your secret. You just have to wake me up. What does that mean? You could be a little bit clearer. <laughs> <laughs> and with your last words, even though you heard what the bird said, everything has started to be drowned out by one of the most horrific screams you have ever heard in your life. And you feel it inside of you. It recognized you somehow in this place. But you wake up. <sighs> what the hell was that? Your room looks exactly how you left it when you fell asleep. It's meeting day. You should probably get dressed. Probably just nervous. <laughs> Frill. Well then. Frill, it is dark. And you are eight years old. You remember because your sister remembers. Because maybe you'd put it out of your mind so long. But there's a sound right now that you swore you would try to forget. You know you're not eight anymore, but the reason you thought so is because the mountain cried that day 
Something had shuddered through it, like it had been struck with a boulder too heavy to exist on the canyon floor. Your mother hadn't felt it. Your father knew nothing about it. But you know that your sister remembers. And you remember this. Because the waning mountains of Still Cove are crying now. Like your cliffs cried back home. Something old and ancient and hungry is calling you. Or trying to punish you, you're not sure, but it doesn't feel kind. What do you do? Start backing away with tears streaming down my face. As your tears fall, and they hit the ground, little withered flowers try to grow and crumble into ash. They want you to talk to them, but they, they can't thrive here. What do you do? I want to reach down and try to scoop the dirt under them with my giant hands and try to take them somewhere else. They, they grow in your hands briefly. And one of them tries to bloom a little, a little pink flower, but it feels alone. And it too shrivels and crumbles and falls through the cracks in your fingers. And I don't think you can stop this. The mountain underneath your feet begins to rumble, but it's sobbing now. It's crying. It, it starts to turn red and you're sinking. But before you hit the canyon floor, you wake up. It's meeting day. It'll probably be fine, right? I mean, your parents said so, so. <laughs> I'm gonna go find my dogs so I can touch them. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> just a little cuddle it's it's fine just cry a little it's all it's okay. just crying to my dogs it's all right <laughs> oh, Rowan you're meditating because you don't really sleep but a familiar spirit is trying to get your attention it seems sad and desperate and it wants your help or does it want to help you you're not sure do you let it speak yeah. You open your eyes and you think you were in your room. It looks like your room. You can see out of the window that the sky appears normal. There aren't any looming black shadows, but only after you look at them. You can't remember why you wanted to check for them in the first place. After a quick glance through the trees, you confirm there's no birds in these branches, but as soon as you realize you looked for them, you can't remember why you did. And you notice that there's no one in the streets. There's no sound coming from the city. What do you do? Does my window open? It can be. That way in dreams where as soon as you think it, it happens. I probably open the window and go out onto the street to try to look around and see, like peek into other people's windows and see if there's people inside. You just climbed out of your own window. <laughs> why not? <laughs> okay, Ro Rowan's window is on the first floor. <laughs> I mean, if it's not, I just climbed up. It's fine. Well, she it's is a rogue. I mean, it's not <laughs> unheard of for it them makes to climb out of windows. <laughs> and you're searching, and your search gets a little more frantic every 
every window you peek in to see, and things are left on the tables undone. Fires are burning in hearths that... Mm, that probably is not a good thing to just leave. Your house is gonna burn down. <laughs> and at one point, you try a door. Mm-hmm. And it's... it's locked. And you turn around. Panicking, just a, just a little. As you wonder where everyone has gone. When right behind you is a woman shrouded in black. They have killed me. Her voice is dry like she hasn't spoken in years. You can see that she wasn't wounded by some attack, but she is dead. And as you peer through the shroud, you see that she has been starved. Avenge my death and I will save you. What do you do? Stare at her, wondering who she is, why she's asking me to avenge her, and just kind of wait and see if she does anything else. I don't move at all. She's going to lift her hand. She doesn't move to touch you, but it's almost as if she's not sure where you are. Hmm. And if she had, she would have brought her hand across the back of your neck. Like she was trying to comfort you, as if you were the one who was dead. What do you do? Kind of jerk back at an instinct and just honestly take off running. (laughs) (laughs) Hell. Where are you going? Down the street, like opposite direction I came from, just like continuing to run out kind of towards the where I was looking for the birds. All right, you run and you run and you don't get tired because, well, you're pretty sure this is some kind of vision. You've never really had a dream before, but this is, this is new. You trip on something. (laughs) Usually you would have sailed across this, but you have a feeling that the woman wanted you to see it. And you look down and there's a golden bangle was on her wrist when she tried to touch you. Pick it up and look at it. There's a symbol carved where there might once have been a gemstone and you don't recognize it until you do. You've seen this before. You're not sure where. It's old and it's forgotten, but maybe you know where to find it. Maybe you know someone who could know where to find it, but it's fading. Roll me a perception check. We get to roll. <laughs> you roll in your vision. I apologize if this is like, yeah. First roll of the game. It's always no. exciting. Okay. Oh, that's going to go great. That's an eight. <laughs> I fades. Okay, lackluster. <laughs> <laughs> it fades as the vision releases you. You hope that maybe if you saw it again, you would remember, but... You're just not sure. The lights in your room seem dim. But now that you're out of the vision, you notice something. All throughout the city, red lines of a beautiful gem powers everything. The lights, the plumbing probably, you're not sure, but everything that runs in the city runs on this red stone. And it has a pulse. It's not distracting. 
And it's just a slow, calming sound that everyone has gotten used to. And you only notice it because in your vision, it was pulsing twice as fast. It's meeting day. It'll probably be fine though, right? I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so good luck getting dressed and stuff. Uh, Eddie. <laughs> Eddie, you are in the ocean. You are not standing on the shore or looking out at it from the deck of a ship. You are completely submerged. And you know this because you can feel the currents flowing against your body and ghosting along your limbs and you can feel it in your lungs. It is completely dark. There's no light here. And the currents shift. Something is in the water right in front of you. You know because the waves are moving around them in a way you're very familiar with. What do you do? Mm. Am I aware that this is a dream? I mean, you didn't fall asleep in the ocean, so um, probably, but I mean, honestly, you never know. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think regardless of whether uh, they knew it was a dream or not, they would probably try and um, use their connection to the water to reach out and see if they can sort of contour whatever is in front of them that they can't see with the water. So that would like, as like the cantrip, like shape water, they were trying to like reach out with that if they could and to see like what they could feel. It's still dark, but it feels familiar. And as soon as you reach out to make contact, a soft glow begins to emanate from a pair of red eyes. Mm. They're not scaring you. They're not blood red. They are ruby red. A softer red and these eyes aren't angry they're desperate they wanted you to help them a voice inside of your head speaks in a fluid language you haven't heard since you left home bring us our feast it says they have buried it and stolen it buried it far beyond our grasp the hand that you didn't see before tries to reach out for help. It wants you to reach out and grab it, but what do you do? How large is this creature? Looks like it might be you, now okay. that you're looking. Okay. <laughs> um, Eddie, erring on the side of caution, would still manipulate the water that had reached out to kind of trace its shape and sort of allow that reaching hand to kind of pass, like pass against that water that's being controlled. So there's some resistance there. So it, it, it's touching something directed by me, but Eddie doesn't reach out and, and touch it himself. And it, its eyes smile for a moment before something else in the water farther back pulls it away. It's gone, whatever it was. And when you wake up, you are in your room. It's meeting day. <laughs> You're kind of not too excited about it, but at least you get to see Frill, right? And those two dogs. <laughs> hey. Everyone 
gets dressed, tries to look presentable, maybe not for themselves, but for their mentors and for the others that they will see on the way. <clears throat> Rowan, I need you to make me another perception check. Good. Let's do a different one. <laughs> <laughs> she said a nine. She rolled a uh, nine. Yeah. Well, you're not sure when this little slip of paper ended up uh, between your belt, probably. I'm guessing you're wearing something that it could have, a paper could have slipped in there. I think I'm wearing something. <laughs> as, you're, as you're making your way across the city to the house where the Tans live, you find a little piece of paper. What do you do? Pull it out and read it. Kind of secretly. I'm guessing I'm walking with my dads. You are not. Oh, I'm not. Did they go ahead? Because you are all supposed to be going on your own as representatives of the council. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> so, <laughs> as, you're, as you're all walking, your parents are probably already there. You, you might've slept in a little bit, but you're on your own. And this little note in the worst handwriting you have ever seen. <clears throat> Nico attacked by real soldiers in the tree library. You know the tree, but it's a library He's okay, but be careful. They're mean. Tell your dads. <laughs> well. <laughs> you have an idea of who might have left this note in your pocket. Yeah. You're yeah. a little frustrated that you didn't catch him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Clearly I was having a bad day. So that happens. <laughs> who would arrive to the Tan's house first, aside from Frill, who lives there? Uh, I think... Eddie probably would because Eddie knows Frill. And if, if Frill was able to greet people, I guess before the meeting technically started, then Eddie would go over and, and greet them first. But Noct would be punctual as usual. <laughs> oh, and then Rowan would stroll in. I'd, I'd show up like close to on time, not like if anything, like one minute late, but not enough really to. No. Make a scene about it or anything? No, kind of that like one minute late where you're like, ha, see, like, I'm you, here, but. You were going to say something, but you can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully no one's checking like, their, sun, their, their sundials to say like, what are you going to wait? And even if they are, you, I just give them a look. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and rule that there are clocks here powered by the uh, crystal because I am not about to sundial. <laughs> I can't, I can't handle that. Because if we're like, oh, it's a minute, I don't. We have advanced mechanisms and magic yeah, yeah. things. We have clocks, it'll be fine. The rest of the council is all there. And they're making small talk and it's really awkward. And you kind of hate it. And maybe they just didn't want to prolong this weird silence that's happening. But the Tens do a dramatic little clap for dinner or lunch, breakfast, brunch. Sure. Brunch. And everyone <laughs> is ushered in. Who do you sit next to? The council members are sitting each aside. It's not a huge house, but it's nice. And the dining room has a long table. You think it's probably too long? Like maybe the people who built the house expected more people to visit every day, but they kind of don't. Noct would be looking for place names to see where he was supposed to sit. 
Eddie will uh, sit down next to wherever Frill sits um, at the most, I guess, respectful position. So I like not at the head of the table, obviously, but they will sit down with quite a determined, like, this is my place. Like, I don't want to sit. I'm not going to sit anywhere else. I feel like, although I live there and therefore know where my seat theoretically would be. I am too shy and nervous to sit down before any of the other council members. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to stand behind the chair that I would sit in, but I am not going to sit down. I'm going to stand there sweating. Eddie, nervous. Eddie will stand next to Frill and then pull out their chair and then sit before Frill does. <laughs> the rest of you are watching this. Uh, it's pretty cute <laughs> the other council members kind of you know what this is fine <laughs> they sit down two by two staying close not sure where the rest of you are going to sit but uh, maybe they should have put some plates down <laughs> it's not super important where you sit down as long as you're seated because they just kind of want this over with as much as you do I just feline for the closest chair. Like, <laughs> they don't have a mountain of servants, but they have a few of the farmhands who come in for this sort of thing, who are pouring little cups of I don't know, juice, probably little trays of light breakfast foods are around. And as the small talk of your mentors kind of winds to a close. Silas and Juniper, the head of the Merchants' Council. Silas clears his throat. <clears> throat> uh, you gave me some juice and I'd really just prefer some wine because if I have to sit through this, I'm not trying to insult it. Oh, that came out wrong. And Juniper puts her hand on his arm and says, it's okay, dear, it's fine. <laughs> they are a much older couple than anyone else at the table. They're both humans with a very pale skin, just on the verge of showing old age, right past middle age, and they're tired. And it's, they're the kind of people that, if they say something rude, you just kind of roll your eyes and go, oh, I wish you hadn't said that, but I'm not gonna punch you because you're very old. <laughs> <laughs> so Silas gets away with a lot. And he's got, they both got to have graying hair. His is darker than his wife's, which is a little bit red. And it's braided impossibly. You're pretty sure that Juniper did this to him. And he just didn't say no. Oh. And they're both wearing matching red tunics that you think he probably didn't have a say in either. <laughs> <laughs> and so Juniper clears her throat. And, ah, well, <clears> throat> oh, need some juice. The tides are changing quicker than we predicted this year, but Eddie, just just there, how are you, darling? I was able to bring in all of our ships safely to harbor. Um, really, they are just indispensable, just oh, indispensable. Oh, well, other than the small hiccup of, uh, you know, almost losing our entire fleet of uh, um, ships and trade routes, uh, it seems to be everything's going well. Um, um, trade to the city? Hasn't it hasn't exactly stopped. Maybe slowed down a lot. Um, which is expected around this time of year, you know, and the other provinces are seeing a little snowfall. Maybe it's making them 
not want to come, but it's fine, right? Isn't that right, Silas? He says, mm, all true. Nothing we can do about it. Market day is still happening, so it's probably fine. I'm not worried. And they both look at you, Eddie. Anything to add? Um, uh, out of character, I would I would like to ask how much of the like the statistics from the like the merchant ships and stuff like how much of that information would Eddie be privy to as someone who's apprenticing to be the council person? Because I think that Eddie would be very concerned to hear that the tr- the ships almost didn't come back. Um, but I also don't think that they wouldn't know that beforehand because that seems like a pretty big deal. Oh yeah, they, your mentors are definitely downplaying what's up. It's pretty bad. Okay, okay. but but is, is this information like is this like for the council that they're saying this? Like Eddie already knows this, or Eddie knows this. But the way the council kind of works is that everybody takes care of themselves. And these meetings are more to just update on, well, this is what we're doing, you know, and if they need help, they would ask. But really, how are they going to ask for help about the ships from all of their other council members? So they're kind of hoping when they look at you that you're going to play along, but you would know all of this. And if you were interested, you would know the statistics. Okay. Um, Do I know why the ships did not almost come back? You're not sure. The weather around here, around the mountains, is changing. It might have been that the tides changed too quickly Mm -hmm. every time a ship got near. Okay. All right. I'm schlooping myself back into Eddie body. Eddie would sort of look at uh, Silas and Juniper. It would be nice to perhaps launch an investigation into the tides in this area at some point, but yes, it is fine. We're dealing as well as we can. You see the other council members kind of shift a bit at the uh, mention of some kind of investigation. They're not fans of other people sniffing into other people's business. They don't say anything. Frill, your mentors kind of lean forward and awkwardly decide to to go next after that because they really don't want to spend more time talking about investigations. Uh, Margo is a young dwarven woman, very young for a dwarf. You're like, hmm, are you, are you sure you should be in this position? But it's fine. She's got tawny skin and long, thick hair that has been spiraled and cinched with little metal clasps and a high ponytail. Very dramatic. Um, her black eyes seem very bored with everything going on in the room. And she is wearing a simple gray tunic and trousers. Her husband, Felion, sits beside her. He's human, dark brown hair, olive skin. And he seems to be trying to hold back a little bit of laughter. You're not sure what's going on under the table there, but mm, could be anything. <laughs> Naughty. He's, he's wearing the same color as his wife, only his clothes is very ornate. Kind of doesn't doesn't fit someone who would be counting resources all day, but, you know, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Margot kind of rolls her eyes, and she leans forward. The harvest is well underway. We are on schedule to meet our demands by the first snowfall. 
few families at the border seem to have mentioned seeing shadows in the forest, but uh, they said that it was probably just the exhaustion. It's been harder than average on the fields this year, but um, I, that's it. I have nothing to report. Frill, what do you say? After a long pause, <laughs> shifting anxiously in my seat, Frill looks nervously at Margot and Felian and says, nothing to report. A baby. <laughs> They're a big baby. <laughs> they don't want to get in trouble with their parents. I think Eddie would just kind of like glance at Frill sidelong and just like, <laughs> not like outwardly roll their eyes, but just be like, also, importantly, just in case anyone doesn't know, since I didn't describe Frill, Frill is a giant seven foot one big baby. Just so you have that image. <laughs> it's not a tiny squirming big baby. It's a giant squirming big baby. I really like this. Are the dogs there? <laughs> oh, yeah. The dogs are oh, always dogs. in a small, like, Side satchel bag. Did you say they're Pomeranians? A a Pomeranian and a teacup chihuahua. Oh my god. They're my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) This is a dream I didn't know I wanted. I want a side satchel. I'd say, like, Rev, as me, I'm totally in love with them, but um, yeah, not not so much. Not a fan of the dogs. He's probably like side eyeing them every so often when they try and like sneak up onto the table or something. He's like, he thinks it's very inappropriate. <laughs> if if Eddie saw that, I think Eddie would also make that same kind of like smirk at Noct too, because Eddie is okay. I is are they on either side? Um, no, no, are they they're both in the same? They're in the same. <laughs> Also, they have a habit, if they know that you feel questionable about them, they will make eye contact with you. <laughs> so probably one of them is making eye contact with Eddie and are, staring them down. My, my only question was, are they on the same side of Frill as I am? Like, are they sitting, like... Um, either way, they'll find a way to make eye contact with you. As Eddie will hate are. it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're making eye contact, one of them with Noct and one of them with Eddie. Possibly swapping. I was going to say, like, one eye each or, like, one dog? (laughs) (laughs) It's up to you. No, one dog per person. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Good Lord. (laughs) The Decay of Still Cove is produced by the It You Crew, who can be found on Twitter and Twitch at ITU Crew, and is edited by Pretty Ideal. The theme music is produced by Sassy Dragon, who can be found on Twitter and Twitch at Sassy Dragon with two Ys. Game mastered by Brie, who can be found on Twitter at Pretty Ideal. Rowan is played by Laura, who can be found on Twitter at Leliana. Eddie is played by Rue, who can be found on Twitter at SinkSankSaki, and on Twitch at Asquilis. Noct is played by Rev, who can be found on Twitter at Reverie Terribly. Frill is played by Vixie, who can be found on Twitter at VixieB.